Hallelujah, he is alive. We wouldn't have much to talk about today if he weren't alive. In fact, we wouldn't be here. Well, good morning on a wonderful Resurrection Sunday. I just have to say, for those that weren't able to be with us on our Good Friday service, I, I just want to say you missed something special. That's a little bit of guilt, but no, it's just you missed something special. God was here. And we celebrated the death and the suffering of our Lord Jesus. And on Friday, we left Jesus in a tomb in the story. But it's funny that we're not as sad because we know the end of the story. What we celebrate today at Easter is just not a ritual. It's the most stupendous, miraculous event that has happened in history. The resurrection of the Son of God. And so it's critical that everybody here knows and understands so, so what? Why should this matter to me? This happened a long time ago. Well, Easter was my mom's favorite holiday, and as a kid, I really didn't get it. I mean, Christmas was far superior. <laughs> but now I get it. See, Resurrection Day changed everything for all believers forever. What a glorious day. Still, Easter still remains one of those days that I think we have uh, many people that have been motivated like maybe no other Sunday to get out of bed, change their routine, and show up in church. Um, so I imagine there's lots of different reasons the people that are here today are here. Uh, some might be here this morning because, hey, if you're going to go to church any day, this is the day. Um, you want to go on Super Bowl Sunday, not, not on a dark day. Well, and there's some here that probably are just as joyful and static as I am, and my mom was, about celebrating the resurrection of our Lord. Well, and there's some here that maybe were just invited here and by someone else, and they came because they were promised a good lunch. And they're willing to suffer through whatever we do here for that lunch because they know how well they cook. Well, there might even be some people here today that you don't even know why you're here. In fact, this is probably the last place you thought you would be if you asked me, you on January 1st. But here you are anyway. But let me say, regardless of why you're here and all your reasons and all your circumstances, welcome. You're here on the right Sunday. No matter why you're here, you're not here by accident. You're here by divine appointment. I am here by divine appointment. And my prayer has been for the last several weeks when I knew I was preaching this message is that he would allow by his spirit the power to penetrate every heart and every circumstance regardless of why you came with the same message. Only he can do that. So... I just want to say, I hope you're all able to, be, at the end of this message and the end of this Sunday, be changed and impacted by the resurrected Christ and that you would meet him in joy and in salvation 
and in motivation and life change like you've never seen. So let's open our Bibles to John chapter 20, and we're going to begin in verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came, following him, and entered the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had come, first come to the tomb, then also entered, and he saw, and he believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. This is the word of the Lord. Father, as we meet to celebrate the resurrection of your son, and proclaim the message that is critical for us to believe and have eternal life, Would you open hearts, open minds, open eyes, let them consider facts, just like John is asking us to do in this chapter, so that we might see our need for Jesus, the wonder of Jesus, and the salvation of Jesus. May we all be changed today, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope you uh, have a set of notes with you. I, I did prepare some, it looks like this. And uh, if you noticed on those notes, there's three primary sections that I want to be covering this morning. One is the necessity and importance of the resurrection. Two is God's plan to communicate Jesus, his resurrection, was through witnesses. And third, John's eyewitness testimony, it's real. So before we really begin to look more deeply in John's passage... I want to begin exploring these first two of the three areas. One, why does the resurrection of Jesus even matter? I mean, why should I care? Happened a long time ago. And two, we want to see that God's plan was then and is now reliant on reliable, faithful witnesses. So number one, let's begin. The first point is, why is Jesus' resurrection so important? Well, I've noticed there's always going to be some who will pick and choose what they will believe about what God has written in the Bible. I mean, did the creation really take six days, or was it six God-like days over zillions of years? No, God said six days, and the resurrection of Jesus is one of those things that God has given in his word. No liberty, no license, no flexibility and whether you believe it or not. It's a must. We see in 1 Corinthians 15, 13 and 14, the same passage that Pastor Todd referred to this morning. If there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, 
then our preaching is in vain. Your faith is also in vain. Or in some translations it might say, you are still in your sins. If Christ be not raised, we're doomed. So according to the word of God, the reality of the resurrection is not a pick and choose item for you to believe or not believe. We all must believe that Jesus is alive today and not in some tomb or not stolen away or not in hiding. There are no two ways about it. See, either the songs we've been singing this morning and the millions of people around the globe that have been singing about Jesus as being alive is either true and based on solid fact or we've all been perpetrating one of the greatest and longest running hoaxes in the history of mankind. There are no two choices but those. It's either true or we're a bunch of liars. And I think we've been singing truth this morning. Jesus is alive. See, there's just no Christianity without believing in the resurrection. There is no Christianity without Jesus being alive. It's a central element of the gospel. We read in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scripture. This is the gospel message. We must understand that Christ's death on the cross on Good Friday without resurrection would have accomplished nothing. See, many good people have died over the years, but there's something that's distinctly different here. Buddha died, Muhammad died, but they didn't come back to life. When Jesus died, three days later, he is alive. He is different than any other person that might have died for a cause. But see, the interesting thing here is if he had just been raised from having the flu or had cancer or died of old age, but God raised him, it would be meaningless because without the propitiation, the payment for our sin on the cross, that would be a meaningless miracle to raise Jesus from the dead from just natural causes. The two must go together. That's why we celebrated on Friday the wonder of our payment for our sin and the confirmation that the check cleared heaven when he raised from the dead. That's Easter. That's why we're here. Well, at the highest level, I think we need to understand two fundamental things. Because he lives, we know our death is not the end. And we will be like Jesus, who is right now alive in heaven, seated on a throne and reigning over this universe. Second, because God raised Christ from the dead, we can have confidence that God has accepted his satisfactory payment for our sins. And he proved that by raising him from the dead and saying there's no need of future fear of condemnation or judgment for those who put trust and faith in this risen Jesus. It's been paid. And Jesus said, it is finished, paid in full paid in full. That's the message. Well, we don't have a choice then. If you want to be a Christian, you believe this truth. It might be far-fetched to you. In our science world, someone coming back from the dead doesn't fit logical facts. That just doesn't happen. Well, 
I think you're just gonna have to swallow and believe it because it's true. Well, some people do, though, I think put the resurrection of Christ in the same category in their minds as UFOs, Bigfoot, um, alien life. Uh, It could happen, maybe it didn't. Uh, Jesus could have been raised, but probably didn't. It's hard to believe, it doesn't matter. This is not one of those things. This is a fact and it must be believed. Remove it from the categories of UFOs. Put it in the category of truth. And why is it gonna matter to us? There's a second reason. And Paul, as he spoke to the people of Athens in Acts 17, said this. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he, God, will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Do you know what this means? It was at this point in the message that Paul got laughed out of the room by the men of Athens. They said, you're nuts, you're crazy. Nobody comes back from the dead, just go away. Paul says, oh no, no, it's fact, it's reasonable and true. But what else is it tells us is that the people then are not much different than us today. You, thought, you might have thought that the Christianity spread through the early world because they were so naive and gullible and unlearned. Uh-uh. They were just as skeptical as you, sitting right here. They were. They didn't believe this stuff. A resurrection didn't just happen every day. They were convinced. This early church was convinced by what? By the truth of this resurrection. Well, what else? God says he's calling the whole world to repent. So are you part of the world? Then he's calling you to repent. And if you have not, you're gonna stand in front of this judge. And this judge is not God the Father. He says he's appointed his son, this crucified, bloodied savior that was buried and is raised again. This now living Jesus is going to be the judge. All mankind, living and dead, will stand before this resurrected God-man. And you will have to give an account. Now, I I know you might say, well, I I don't believe in the resurrection. Well, you will at one point. You will. But I don't want it to be late. I don't want it to be late. See, you will be declared guilty in that court unless you repent. Of what? We've all sinned against God. God says it over and over again. Anybody in your room perfect? I want to find you. Then nobody qualifies for the perfection of God. We all need to repent. Whether you know him or not, even as a Christian, you need to repent whenever you sin. Isn't that what it says? We've got to be people of repentance turning away from sin, turning towards Christ. But all who turn towards Christ will not be condemned in that court. They won't even face the judge. Well, let's go to, God's also said something. He says that this act, this resurrection of Christ was what God called proof. It was his assurance that it's a done deal and that this man, this God-man, this resurrected God-man will be the judge. 
So we don't have a chance to say, well, I don't believe it, so it won't happen. No, this is like what they say, death and taxes. It's going to happen. The question is, will you be ready for it? That's the question. It's not whether you get out of it. You won't. You don't have to believe the resurrection. That's an option. But you will stand. Well, how did people expect to hear this? Because there were no video cameras at this time. So how did this resurrection get communicated to the world? Well, God's plan has always been to use faithful witnesses. From the very beginning, and now 20 centuries later, God has always relied on you, me, others, to proclaim this message about Jesus Christ. Because there were no videotapes, no tape recordings, no uh, CNN when this happened, how did it get spread? What happened? Well, you know that videotapes, I'm glad God didn't let this happen when there was video. Because I think video is more unreliable the way that can be edited today than an eyewitness report. Has anybody seen the video of Steph Curry making 10 full court shots in a row? There was a video out. Steph Curry shoots 10 full court shots, all go swish. Everybody was astounded. Well, Steph admitted later it was a doctored film. He didn't do it. Sure looked like he did. God didn't use video. He used eyewitnesses. People who saw him, held him, touched him, ate food with him, walked with him, talked with him. These, these are credible witnesses. And God says that's proof. Well, one of the things I think we have to say, too, is that why didn't he show up to everybody at one time so he could just really make a name for himself? Well, Peter told us what the answer to that was in Acts chapter 10, verse 40. He said, God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God. Do you see that? So you might say, wouldn't, wouldn't God have got his message across better if he just showed up in front of everybody? Like today, he could just, instead of me preaching, he just shows up and waves, raises his hands and everybody believes? God said no. The better way is through reliable witnesses, and that's the only method I'm going to use until I come back. Reliable witnesses. Well, the other thing too, but we weren't there. I mean, how are we gonna be reliable witnesses? Ah, you know what this book is? It contains the written testimony of the reliable witnesses. We have just as much authority as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John did. The, auth the author of this book is God. God's given his testimony through these men, and it's recorded. So we can be just as bold as they were, although I don't know how many of here would be willing to die for this message like they were but we can be just as bold about the facts of this because we have the written testimony. That's God's method. So you and I are not at a disadvantage not having seen Jesus when he walked out of the tomb. We didn't get a chance to shake hands with him, eat fish with him. So what? We have a reliable witness right here, a record of what he did and said to people who saw him. In fact, I think what it says is this eyewitness report is so important. We need to study this and know that he believes it's sufficient. Well, 
Let's just jump into John's testimony here and look at what John, the eyewitness, has written for us to understand and know. And then I want us to do something that Jesus instructed his disciples to do in Luke chapter 12 and 50, verse 57. He says, you must decide for yourself this morning if these things are so. Because if they're true, then you must act. You must believe. Well, John's eyewitness testimony. The first thing we see about his testimony is that it's silent from Friday night just before the Sabbath began when Jesus was laid in the tomb until very early and it's dark on Sunday morning. John is assuming a few things as he begins the narrative for us here. He believes that you know that Jesus is really dead. Okay, some people still want to argue, well, maybe he was just wounded. Um, he swooned, he, he was in a coma, they thought he was dead, they put him in the tomb, but in the coolness of the tomb, you know, he revived and then got, felt a little stronger, then he moved a uh, how, how many tons stone out of the way in his weakened condition and he walked out it doesn't hold any weight those don't fit the facts that's not what's happened here you have to understand that historians from the time non-Christians had written a man called Jesus of Nazareth died on a Roman cross these aren't disciples writing these records these are people who are supposedly on this side and the Romans consider them they, had, they perform crucifixions all the time. I, I think they know when somebody's dead. You think so? I mean, they'd killed hundreds. They, they knew that, that you had to break the legs of some of these men, otherwise they took too long to die. And, on, and John records for us that the Romans knew that the Jews were anxious to get these guys out of here because the Sabbath was coming. So they came and they broke the legs of the thieves on either side of Jesus. But they didn't break his legs. Well, it, fulfill, it fulfills prophecy that says not a bone of his will be broken. But it also meant, it also meant that they knew he was already dead. They had already declared him dead. In fact, they put a, a spear in his side just for good measure. It didn't help him much, did it? No. He, if he was wounded, that would have done him in it by itself. So here's what's happened. This dead man is in the tomb, and now we come to Easter morning, and John provides his description. He states his intention, and he says, I'm looking for a response. So let's look at the description. Easter morning, Mary Magdalene's early trip to the tomb uh, she, sped, she went with, with some other women. Now, this narrative here in this gospel doesn't refer to that, but it says, we don't know where he laid him, means that she and some other women went to the tomb that morning. And you gotta believe that they went early when it was still dark, not so they could get front row seats at the resurrection sunrise service. Right? They went because they were sorrowful and they had unfinished business from the Sabbath. They had not finished embalming the body. They wanted to say their last respects to Jesus. They wanted to say goodbye. That's why they were showing at the tomb, not because they had great faith, not because they expected him to be gone. And it says what? They got there and the guards were gone. The tomb was open. The stone was rolled away. And they looked in and they said, the body's gone. And they got freaked. 
And it says, after a hasty glance into the tomb, they ran to tell Peter and the other disciple, who we know to be John. And what did she say happened? Well, what she believed happened was they, whoever they are, have taken away the Lord. And we don't know where they have laid him. And of course, the women did not have any significant inclination that this was a miracle. This was the resurrection. In fact, what should have brought them joy, they didn't seem very happy about. If they were ready for this, they would have said, yes! That's not what we see here. And then what's the reaction of the disciples when they told them? Well, you would expect them to say, oh, oh, hey, women, women, calm down, calm down. Remember, it's the resurrection. No big deal. You know, that... I should have gone with you, but no. That's not what they did either. That says in Luke that they thought they were nuts. They thought the story they told them was nonsense. They were defeated. See, we, we might think that these men of faith, that Sunday morning, they knew Friday happened, but Sunday's coming. They were there around the table singing, Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph for his foot. Peter, Peter, keep singing. That wasn't them. They didn't believe anything happened. They were defeated. They were hidden. They were frightened. They were done. The only people that seemed to have any bravery left were the women. Not surprising. So what happens? Peter and John said that, I don't know whether they went because they wanted to disprove the woman's story or to prove the women's story, but it says they ran to the tomb. And you know, there's something here that bears all the hallmarks of a real in-person account. When you take a trip and you say, I went here, you don't just say, I went. You, You know, we went and we saw this gas station. By the way, there was a guy by the gas station that was begging for money. It was really weird. And you put a lot of details in it. This is what's happening here. What does he say? We were going to the tomb. The two were running together, and the other disciple outran him and came to the tomb first. He says, I won. Well, John didn't say I won, but he really said I won. I'm faster than that slow Peter guy. And it says, but this is not the type of information you would need to prove a resurrection, is it? But it certainly speaks of truth. This is a true account. This is what happened. That's why it's trustworthy. Well, what happens there? John stooped down, looked in the tomb. As he peered in, he can see grave clothes still in the position that Jesus was lying. And he didn't go in. And one might ask, why didn't John just go in? I think there's no clear indication in Scripture why he didn't go in or what he was thinking. But it's certainly possible that when he saw those grave clothes looking almost undisturbed right where Jesus was laying from the outside angle of the tomb, the body could still be there. And he thought maybe Mary was wrong. Maybe he was discouraged. But Peter came huffing and puffing up later (laughs) and just charged in in typical Peter form. And he ran into the tomb and what does it say he found? Peter saw the burial cloths which John had seen lying there and he saw a separate face cloth which had been around the head of Jesus rolled up and lying in a place by itself. 
Well, if you remember, the head cloth was part of the same wrappings of the body. Unless Jesus had a 12-foot neck, it wouldn't be somewhere else. The head cloth would be right next to the body's cloths. But for some reason, Jesus, when he left the tomb, decided to leave them a little bit of a test. He put the head cloth somewhere else. Remember, if Mary's original intention, original assumption was somebody stole the body, it would be at this point that you would have to ask, any thoughtful person would have to ask, why did the grave robbers take the time to unwrap the body first before they decided to beat it? I mean, if you're going to steal a body and you're going to grave rob, wouldn't you want to get in, get out, and get gone? Especially if it was critical to your story that nobody sees what you're doing and you need to get out of there quick, this makes no sense that the grave clothes are left behind. No grave robber would do that. In fact, it's not consistent with anybody stealing the body. Well, when we read that Peter saw the linen wrappings undisturbed, it's like Jesus' body had just gone whoop, right through them. And his hands are free, and he took off his head piece and put it down now how is this different than what John says happened to Lazarus well in in John 11 it really says that he how should I say when he told Lazarus to come forth he says look he came out Somebody untie him. Why didn't anybody need to untie Jesus? Just like he went through doors. Well, see, there's something else we might see here. When John went in, that's the next thing the narrative tells us. John went in and says he believed. I wanted to study this. What did he believe? Well, one would like to think he believed that Jesus was alive. Well, read the next two verses. John says, after he believed that statement, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again. So the disciples went away to their own homes. That's what you'd do if you found a Jesus resurrected from the grave and you found him raised from the dead and you, I'll go home. No, why wouldn't they go tell the other disciples? Why why wouldn't they be excited? I don't think they believed that Jesus was raised. I think he just believed that Mary's wild story that they said was foolishness he believed it Jesus was gone the body was gone he had no explanation but the body was gone see until that Jesus came to the upper room and met with them and they could say ah that's when they believed he was alive just like Mary believed he was alive in the garden because he was the he appeared to her first and what did he say Mary And she came to the disciples and said, I have seen the Lord. Okay? I don't think these guys were that miraculous of faith that they just knew exactly what happened. I think it took Jesus' presence. So John wants everybody to be certain of two things. One, that Jesus' body was bodily missing and gone. He didn't do some spiritual resurrection. You know, the spirit of Christ is gone into the world. No, no. The body is gone, and there will never, ever be a body to be found. This is what he's saying. 
That's John's point. In fact, that's a stubborn historical fact that the Jews would love to get undone. If they could have produced a body, this whole farce would be over. But they couldn't. There was no body to be found. Jesus was alive. The second message of the story is what the linen cloths tell us, and we just heard about that. Jesus' resurrection was supernatural. It wasn't like Lazarus's. He ended up with a new supernatural body that can go whoop right through doors, whoop right through grave clothes. He could unwrap himself. In fact, I don't think he even needed to open the tomb. He could have gone whoop right through the stone. But he wanted other people to know the tomb was empty, so he, he accommodated them and put the, oh, rolled away the stone. But that was not for him. That was for us. Right? And so what happens? We have to conclude that this is not, these grave clothes tell us this is not an act of grave robbers because those clothes were almost undisturbed on the table and no grave robber would leave them behind. See, it's funny that the Jews were so convinced that the body was gone is that they paid the Romans to spread a story that his disciples had stolen the body. This is why we know that the body is not going to be found. Not going to be found. Well, if this and the other gospel records of an empty tomb are only a fabrication, I want to tell you there's, there's two things here that smack of truth. One, if the disciples wanted to make up a story, they wanted to promote a religion that they just came up with about Jesus being alive, the first person that Jesus appeared to would not have been portrayed to be a woman. And women don't get offended, but in that time, women had no status. They had no ability to testify in court about anything. They were an unprofitable witness. You could say, well, she saw this thing happen. Doesn't matter. It took a man's witness in that time to have any credibility in court. So why would the disciples say that we're going to hinge this pivotal arising from the dead on a woman's testimony? That would be foolish if you're trying to make up a story. You'd try to pick somebody that's really reputable. Second, if this is a made-up story, a concocted story, we must consider then what was in it for the disciples. What did they get paid? How did they benefit from this, making up this great story that Jesus was really alive, although they stole the body? What was in it for them? Well, did they get money, notoriety, power, fame? No. They got beatings. They got ridicule. They got hatred. They got death. Now, I don't know about you. These disciples and the first Christian martyrs were in the perfect place to know if any of this was true or not. They knew whether they stole the body or not. They knew that they had seen Jesus or not. Anybody that's willing to die for a cause that they know is a lie makes no sense. These men were convinced Jesus was alive and they didn't do it. They didn't steal the body. They didn't leave behind the grave clothes because none of that makes any sense. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Eyewitnesses said so. Well, let's just read the next part. The next part is really what is John's intention for including this? Why did John go to this detail and include these facts? 
about the grave clothes, about the empty tomb. Why did he do it? Well, in John, a little further in that chapter, verse 30 and 31, he says this, Therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, what? These things that I've written have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Aha! I find this so helpful because John is not trying to give us a history lesson or some facts. He's trying to convince us. He's trying to persuade us. He wants us to believe in Jesus. Well, he's not writing it in such a way that, well, you know, these are some interesting facts. I want you to take it or leave it. You know, consider them if you want uh, while you're reading your newspaper. No, this is important to him. I wrote these specific things that a thoughtful person could take them and be faced with the facts of this case and be convinced. See, I think anybody that's thoughtful about this will be convinced. I think it was Chesterton that said, um, so many people have rejected Jesus not because they have considered the evidence and found it wanting, but because they have never considered the evidence at all. Have you considered the evidence? I mean, really considered it. I mean, looked at it carefully and said, well, do I believe this Jesus has been raised from the dead? If, if this Jesus came back from the dead, what does that really mean I need to do? Is there really gonna be a judge? Am I ready to face that judge? This is why John has written this. Well, I have to say another thing here. John expects a response. John's writing these things not just to have you believe, but he wants a response in your life. You cannot just sit here anymore and say, well, that were, those are some really wonderful truths we heard today. And you still have to say, so what? How did it change you? What do you now believe? Have you evaluated the evidence and made a decision? See, everything that John records, he tells us he records that he might convince us. You know, it, it probably wouldn't be considered politically correct what I'm doing today and being so dogmatic about what I believe. I probably should be saying something. Oh, I know you all have different opinions about whether this resurrection thing happened or not. I know they're probably all valid. They're wonderful to be considered. So I just hope you just thank you for considering the new ones I gave you today and go home, have a nice life and a, and a wonderful day. That would be crazy. That's nuts. I would be a fool. Please know that I don't care for political correctness. I could care less. I am driven to speak boldly and with conviction about what I know to be true from this book. If I don't fit in a culture, okay. Because my desire this morning is just like John's was. That's what I'm going for with you today here is that I want to convince you that the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is a fact. I want to convince you that you need a savior before you get to this judgment. I want to convince you that God's saving message of the gospel is true and that you need to personally believe. That's what I'm trying to convince you of today. See, when Jesus recorded the gospel, he was trying to convince, just like Paul was. We might think Paul was just out broadcasting news, but that's not what Paul says. Well, if you're trying to sell something, you do want a response, right? You expect a reaction? So if you went into somebody's business and said, um, hello, hello, 
I have some brochures for you. Uh, okay. Thank you. Um, anything else? No, no, just, just the brochures. I uh, don't want to bother you. Um, I'll be on my way. You'd probably look to the guys around you and go, what's with that guy? I mean, if this is you, you are not a salesman. You're a distributor of brochures. <laughs> Paul said, I want to be, as it were, a persuader, a salesman for Christ. I'm not out just to produce notes and give you facts that you can just discard. I want a response. And how do we know that? Well, in Athens, it says, Acts 17, 17, he was reasoning in the synagogue. You know you cannot reason without facts. You can ask someone to take a leap of faith, but that's not reason. Paul based his testimony on what he considered facts, absolute rock-solid facts. He got ridiculed for saying that, but who cares? In uh, Acts 18.4 in Corinth, it says he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. He wasn't just distributing brochures about Christianity. He was trying to persuade them. Acts 19.8, and he entered the synagogue and continued speaking boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Is that us today as witnesses, or are we more like distributors of brochures? Are we trying to persuade? We should be. This is true. This is reasonable. This is important. This is eternally dependent. Well, what did he do in front of Agrippa and uh, Governor Festus? Paul said, you know what? This is all about the resurrection of Jesus. And Festus cut him off and says, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning has driven you mad. And Paul said, ah, you're probably right. No, he says, no, no, what I'm saying is true and reasonable. Look at the passage, Acts 26. What I'm telling you is true and reasonable. And King Agrippa knows this. And King Agrippa had to jump in and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? I mean, in the five minutes you've been talking, you wanna make me a Christian? You know, Paul, what did he say? Oh, oh, no, no, you got me all wrong. I'm just distributing brochures today. I'm, no, he said, absolutely right. I'm trying to persuade you. In fact, I wish that you and everybody in this room hearing my voice would be just like I am in a believer of this risen Christ, but without these chains. Do you think he had any credibility? Why was he even in chains before Festus and Agrippa? Because he was proclaiming this message and he felt it was worth dying for to proclaim. And he didn't worry that he was in chains, he was still persuading. What are we doing in our comfortable houses? Are we distributing brochures? Are we trying to persuade those that are lost? Well, just like John and Paul, I would like you today as we get ready to close, to not be hearing one more history lesson about the resurrection of Christ. That's not what I want. I want you to be impacted by this truth, to consider this evidence and believe, just like Paul. I don't want you to leave here unchanged. You see, Jesus did something on the cross for us that we could never do for ourselves. He paid for our sin debt. 
and gave us a right standing before a holy God, not only for a point in time, but for eternity. Jesus had sent his disciples out to tell the world that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and die and rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness could be preached in his name beginning in Jerusalem throughout the whole world. And just like them, and right here in Hercules, I want to preach his forgiveness and repentance in his name that you too can leave here forgiven. I don't want you to stand before this judge without having Christ as your advocate and your savior. I don't, I don't want you to leave. Consider the evidence. There's enough evidence. God says there's enough proof. You can't ask for more because God says there's enough. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. Nobody. I want you to make this decision today. Be persuaded. Let the Lord open your eyes and heart and respond. Let me close with this. Ever tried to wash your car, your windows after a trip up into the mountains? If you have, you've observed this principle. For something to get clean, like your filthy car, something else has to get dirty, like that clean, pristine wash rag you start with. And when you're done washing the car, it looks black. What's the principle? For something to get clean, something else must get dirty. This is the gospel message. For us to be clean, we could not clean ourselves. Christ had to become sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He became sin for us. He became dirty for us so we could be clean. He was broken for us so that we could be whole. He was condemned so we would be freed. He rose from the dead that we could live forever just like him. This is this Jesus we want you to see. And whether you realize it or not, you were called to be here this morning to hear this scripture, to hear this poor preacher, to hear these messages that Jesus wants to have a relationship with you. And you need to repent and put your faith in Jesus. You need to. There is no other alternative. I hope today that you will be like Mary after you put your faith in Christ as your Savior, repent of your sins, you too could say, I have seen the risen Jesus because he's alive and he'll live in your heart and he will be evident to you. And I'll close with this verse. The Bible tells us, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Father, I thank you, I thank you, I thank you for putting up with us stubborn people long enough to die on a cross, to expend your power to raise him from the dead, to live forever and to want a family to come with you. Father, I pray there's not a person here that already knows you that won't be better at proclaiming you or there's people here that if they don't know you, they will not leave until this evidence that Jesus is alive and it means something that he's alive. 
It means that he is the confirmed savior of the world. He is the righteous judge that they will face if they don't repent now. So Father, please change their hearts. Please let them get through this evidence by your spirit and put their faith in Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.